Thank you, worship team. It's good to be with you all. And uh, as we go through the study, we'll see that God is the way maker and other characteristics of God. Uh, first, I want to say uh, happy 4th of July to you. Uh, here we are experiencing uh, the freedom to worship. How about that? Independence. And you've, yeah, gladly, you've, you've chosen to exercise your freedom by being here. So it's good to be with you. We are in the book of Revelation. Uh, we'll be in chapters 6 and 7 if you'd like to turn to that and look at it along with me. Uh, that would be great. And I want to remind you, too, that on our website, we've developed a resource page. Revelation is a uh, complex book, and we are taking 17 weeks to look at it. We probably could take 71 weeks to look at it. But you can go as deep as you like on this resource page. So check that out and read things, and uh, just would love to have you come along in this study with us. All right? Great. Uh, let me begin this way by uh, asking you, what's a favorite story of yours, a favorite book, a favorite movie? Um, we can't take time to go around the room and ask each person, but I will tell you that when I was a kid, I loved comic books. I loved Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, fighting Lex Luthor, the Joker, Riddler, and so on. Um, you know, even today, I like to watch some of the Marvel movies. Maybe you like those, too. We like sophisticated movies, too. My wife and I recently watched uh, The King's Speech. That was on, that came, it won an Oscar some years ago. Uh, we watched 12 Years a Slave, uh, The Green Book. I'm in the middle of that now. We like some sophistic, more sophisticated movies, but I like the, you know, unsophisticated movies, too, the ones that the Oscars just missed for some reason, like Dumb and Dumber. Um, <laughs> Nacho Libre is a favorite, and uh, The Three Amigos. Those are just amazing movies. You know, you, you, you think of those stories, and the many other stories, uh, favorites of ours, and to, to some degree or another, so many of them have this in common. It's good versus bad, good versus evil. And in the end, what brings us sheer delight is the good wins, and evil is vanquished, Right? And these stories of good versus bad, good versus evil, draw their um, theme from a much bigger story. Our stories that we love um, are tend to be like you know, miniature stories or microcosmic reflections of a much bigger, grander narrative that we are in the middle of, that we are living in the middle of right now. And that story is found in the Bible, where it's the ultimate battle of Good versus evil. And in the end, good wins. V evil is defeated. God wins. Evil is defeated. <clears throat> Here we are in uh, 2021. And uh, we sit between two poles. Uh, at, the, at, the, at the earliest pole, it's Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And this is where... These chapters are perfect because it's just the way God intended things to be. And everything between God and his creation is perfect and good. And everything between God and mankind, humankind, is good. And then at the other end of the Bible, Revelation chapters 21 and 22 will eventually be there. Everything is perfect because now God's kingdom is fully restored and established here on earth. But we're not there yet. We're still in 2021. There are uh, so many um, good things that we enjoy in life, so many things we 
love to do today with family and friends. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of good things. But we would be in absolute denial if we said that evil did not exist. I mean, just open the newspaper, watch the news, or look into your own personal history, or just look around, and it's true. We could, we could start with the easy ones, like Hitler and Stalin, of course, but there are ones some of those times we don't think about, like the persecution of, of Christians around the world. I, I don't know how many this past year were killed, but it's beyond number. Uh, it, it's, uh, I think, Forbes magazine some years ago, I mentioned this last time, I think, actually, that one out of eight Christians in the world are persecuted for, in some way. In a few weeks, we'll be hearing from Bobby Gupta in India, where it is a Hindu nationalist nation and Christians are being persecuted. It's terrible. But how has evil pierced your own personal life? Uh, I was talking with somebody the other day about scamming. <laughs> how we all, you know, people try to scam us all the time, but, but who takes advantage of the elderly? Oh my goodness, where does that evil come from? And what about the violence and abuse toward children? Where does that come from? And the, the trafficking of people in so many different ways that we just seem to have never talked about 30 years ago. It's just prevalent today. Or the, the selling of drugs and a taking advantage of lives. My wife and I just went to a funeral service the other day for an, a death from overdose. I mean, just who does that? And the evil among all evils is death itself. Well, won't somebody just take care of all this evil? We find ourselves at times saying inside or out loud what the psalmist says and other places, but this one in Psalm 13 Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Indeed, how long, how long, how long, how long? Won't somebody do something about this? And I got to tell you, it won't take Superman, Batman, or Spider-Man, somebody much bigger, <laughs> and that's God himself. So the book of Revelation is a revelation of and about Jesus Christ, who is given the authority and power to once and for all do away with evil and restore the kingdom of God here on earth. And it's coming. John is given the revelation to send to seven churches, the original seven churches, but this letter, the letter of Revelation, the book of Revelation, is intended for all churches of all ages, including the chapel. So last week, we looked at chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation. And there, John saw a scroll rolled up with seven seals on it. And inside this scroll is the future of the world. It's what's going to happen to world history as we know it before God's kingdom comes on earth. And John learns that there was only one qualified, only one worthy enough to open the scroll, to open the seals, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus opens the seals one at a time, and each seal as it's opened reveals a judgment of God against evil and all the purveyors of evil and those who stand against God. And that's what we're about to look at. What we're about to see in the chapters to come, chapters 6 through 18, we won't look at all those today, just chapters 6 and 7 today, 
But what we're going to see in the chapters to come is what the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of over and over. It's coming. It's coming. There will be an end to evil. It's coming. What we're about to see in the chapters to come is what Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24. What we're about to see in the chapters that come are what the great stories we love are made of when finally the good guy wins and the bad guys lose forever. So, let the fireworks begin, right? Chapter 6 through 18, here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings. And by the way, the four, the four living beings, we were introduced to those in chapter 4. They are some type of heavenly being. We're not sure. And they said with a loud voice like thunder, like the crack of thunder, come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. This is the first of four horsemen. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If you're a Notre Dame football fan, they used to call them the four horsemen running backs. That's not, that's, this is where they got the name. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is the first one. And this rider is riding a white horse. And at first thought, you'd think, well, this must be Jesus on a white horse. Peace. Because Jesus rides on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19, like Gandalf does in The Lord of the Rings. There's something funny going on here. Jesus told us in the book of Matthew that there would be a time when deception would arrive. That the, 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 the spirit of the Antichrist would come. And this could very well be the Antichrist himself, who we are introduced not by the name Antichrist, which never, that term never shows up in the book of Revelation, but, the, but by the term the beast in chapter 13. It seems that God is, 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 is using the world's opposition to truth against itself by sending this white horse and rider. We get hints of it around the world today. They're, they're, they're just teaching that is, 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 is different than the gospel of Christ. It's, de it's deceptive. Well, this, it's going to get worse. And, and we'll notice, too, that this rider is, is carrying a bow, but no arrows, with a suggestion of peace. But there really is no peace, because war is coming. That's the second seal. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. You see a vivid red horse, and you think battle. You think war. And of course, war is nothing new to any of us here. Here we are on 4th of July. We're celebrating Independence Day that came as the result of a war. And there are wars around the world today, and there will be more wars. But Jesus said in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 24 that there will be wars and there will be rumors of war will suggest, suggest the coming of birth pains. But now with this second rider appearing, the second seal opening, the birth pains have come. And there is war. And there's war on every front. Third seal. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. 
I looked up and saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a loaf of bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and wine. Oftentimes what accompanies war in the world is famine. And that is the black horse, famine. You know, Cedar Point's paying $20 an hour now. That's pretty amazing, right? Eight-hour day, right? 160 bucks. I just did that math like that. 160 bucks for a loaf of bread. How about that? Yesterday, I filled up my car with three, more than $3 a gallon. Ouch. But that's nothing compared to what's going to happen. I don't know if you've been to a place in the world where there's a shortage of food, where there's true food insecurity. Come with our team next summer. Lord willing, we'll go to Burundi where we've adopted a village and you will see food shortage. And you will watch us hand out food and you will see them clamoring after it. Where there is shortage of food and where there is famine especially, there is chaos, there is confusion, and there is corruption. Like there is throughout sub-Saharan Africa and everywhere else there is shortage of food. Enter the fourth and final rider. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being saying, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave. And these two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and disease and wild animals. That color, pale green, that's the color of a, of a decomposing corpse. Death claims the body. The grave, which is Hades, claims the soul. It's really easy to read through this quickly and, and not do the math. Today in the world, there's about just north of 7.8 billion people. A quarter of that is almost 2 billion people. That seems a lot. But as the judgments intensify through Revelation, it reaches a half. Devastating. This is fearful. This is frightful. Now, with the fifth seal and the four horsemen now having appeared, there is a, there's a bit of a pause, a pause for reflection, a pause for perspective. And it goes like this. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for, faithful, and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. Who are these ones under the altar? These are the ones who have lived openly and unashamedly, unreservedly for Christ. These are, these are Christ's followers, and they've given their lives as a result. I mean, you can believe that people around the world where Christians are persecuted, you can believe the, they, they read these words very carefully. And they're given white robes. What are the right robes? It's a, it's a symbolic thing. It represents dignity and honor and a right relationship with God. And they want to know, those under the altar, they want to know and they ask God just what we want to know, exactly what we want to know. 
Will somebody vindicate us? Who will vindicate the death of those who have died for Jesus? And the point of this open seal is to tell us that there will be no suffering ever for the Lord that is overlooked. There is no suffering for the Lord that will go unrewarded or unavenged. God sees exactly what is going on and will take care of everything in his time. Now, back to earth for the sixth seal. I watched the lamb, I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. It, Probably like you, you've been sitting somewhere at some point, you feel like a, you know, a mild northern Ohio trembler, and it's on the news that night. But has anyone here ever been through like a real earthquake? Like, I mean, a, a Richter scale worthy earthquake, like out in California or in Japan or someplace like that. This will be that, but more. <clears throat> this will be where the heavens and the earth are all involved in some type of cosmic meltdown. Now that's the end of the six seals. I'll tell you about the seventh in a moment. But this is how the end, this is how chapter six ends after these six seals have been opened. Watch this. Then everyone, I mean everyone, poor and rich alike, everybody, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide from us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to survive? End of chapter 6. Now, would you just notice there for a moment the people crave death, but what they do not crave is the Lord. They want death, but they do not want the Lord. And what we're going to find from chapter 6 through 18, the judgments of God toward a world that's against him will intensify. But we will also see intensify a resistance to God himself. The other day I was in conversation with a, with a guy and we were talking about the book of Revelation. He had heard it taught somewhere, I don't know where. And he said, you know, the book of Revelation, it is a, it is a scary book. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, a book of fear. It's a book of fright. And I'm thinking in our conversation, I get it. It, it, it is scary and it, it is fearful and it is frightful. But this is what we, you and I in this room, when we come to celebrate Christ, this is what we need to understand. Revelation is a book of hope. It's a book of hope. And you'll see this as we go throughout and where we end up. But I want to show you right now what I mean by it being a book of hope. Because if you look at these very last, I mean the very last words, you see the question, who is able to survive? 
That's in the New Living Translation. In the New International Version, it's who can stand. Indeed, who can stand this kind of judgment, this famine, this death? All, who, can, who will survive? Who will? And the answer is this. Those who are Christ, they will survive. Those who know the Lord, they will stand. Those who have the righteousness of Christ through faith in Jesus, they will make it through all of this. Not physically, but our souls will be with God. Chapter 7 gives us this hope. Now, the seventh seal we won't see until chapter 8, which is opened next week. Chapter 7 is like an interlude, and it gives us this spark of hope for those who are in Christ. So, Chapter 7 begins like this. There are four angels at the corners of the earth ready to unleash more judgment on the world. But in comes another angel flying in. I guess they do it like this. The angel flies in and says, Whoa, stop, do not, do not send out the judgment yet. And this is what that angel says to those four angels. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. What in the world is that? It's just, it's a, I don't think it's literal, but it's a symbolic mark, which is opposite, by the way, of the mark of the beast, which we'll read about in chapter 13. This is the seal of God. It shows that these, these people belong to God. And he goes on to say, and I heard how many were marked with this seal of God on their forehead. 144,000 were sealed from the tribes of Israel. What? What? 144,000? That's 12,000 times 12 tribes of Israel. There are about 144,000 views as to what 144,000 means. It's confusing. It's hard. But I think, I think it means that these are, these are Jewish people who have become followers of Christ in this terrible time of tribulation. They have given their lives to Christ and are now witnesses for Christ. Is it exactly 144,000? Literal, symbolic, we don't know. And physically, they may die, but their souls are safe with God. They are sealed by God's Spirit and part of the family. So there is hope for these. But now, in the middle of chapter 7, John's vision shifts a little bit as chapter 7 continues to give us this spirit, this this glimpse of hope. This is what it says. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. That's everybody in the world. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches In their hands. And somebody comes to John and says, Who are these people dressed in white? And John's thinking, I don't know, you know. And so the one who asks the question answers the question and says, This These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. In other words, they are okay. You know, I read the word died there. And it makes me uneasy. It makes me uneasy because it makes me think of death. I've been in church ministry now for just over 30 years, I think. I've not had a week 
like I just had. A week ago Sunday, I was in Akron eulogizing one of my very best friends ever because he died of COVID complications. Difficult. On Wednesday, I officiated at a funeral service in, in Sandusky for a young dad and his young boy who were killed in a boating accident. Terrible. On Friday, my wife and I drove over to Akron to visit friends who just lost their son to a terrible death. And, you know, the, death can do crazy things to your head. It can make you worry, worry, worry. Where do I go? It should make us think about the brevity of life and the temporariness of life. But is this all there is? Or is there something more? And what we see in this vision, those dressed in white, who are covered by the blood of the Lamb, they've been forgiven. And now they have a right relationship with God. They have been forgiven. This is how chapter 7 ends. Let me, go, let me show you this first of all. Death can, the, the idea of die, death, it's just scary. I want to show you what Billy Graham said one time. This is so good. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And that's the certainty that, for the, that those who are in Christ have. This is how chapter 7 ends. There we go. There we go. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is sort of a, a, a glimpse of chapters 21 and 22 in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Many, peop many people teach the church, followers of Jesus, will be raptured before chapter 6 happens, before the judgments of God are unleashed, that the church will not be here. Other people teach the church will be raptured in the middle of the tribulation, and so we'll only experience part of it. Others teach that the church will be raptured after the tribulation, Nobody really knows for sure. There's so many things in Revelation we're just not sure about. But this is what we're sure about. That if you are in Christ and you have the righteousness of Christ because of your faith in Jesus, you have a seal on your forehead, a seal on your heart. You've been sealed by God's Spirit. And even when cancer comes your way or death comes your way or famine comes your way or hardship comes your way, whatever it is, death itself, you're okay, because you're in the presence of God. We are sure that if we are in Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ, then one day we will be in the midst of those who are dressed in white. And for us too, there will be no more pain or death, and our tears will be wiped away. All because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I go back to those words we just read a moment ago. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and it's made them white. The judgment of God has been placed on Jesus. And for those of us 
who believe in Christ, we never have to fear the judgment that is coming one day against a world that has turned its heart away from God. All because of the shed blood of Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to sing this song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is our hope. Revelation is a scary book. It's a fearful book. It's a frightful book. But it's a, it's a book of great hope only because of Jesus. We're going to take communion here together. You, when you came in, you should have received a little cup. There's some in the back. If you don't have one, please feel free to grab one. But um, The bread and the cup. is intended by Jesus to remind us that evil has been defeated at the cross. And today, as as the church is expanding, evil is being defeated. And one day when Jesus comes again, evil will be vanquished forever. Between this day and that day, we're to eat this bread and drink this cup and be reminded of the power of the death of Christ, who did for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. Not one of us could make our way to heaven on our own. It's, on, it's because of the, the death of the blood of Christ. So if you want to take the bread and hold it, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body given for you. When you eat this, do it with gratitude. Do it with a spirit of recommitment. Do it in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And then Jesus took the cup and held it and said, this, this cup represents my blood shed for you. This is the covenant of God, it might be his promise to never leave you nor forsake you. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink it together.